Political Unmuted is a weekly politics show based in the northeast of England. The audience chooses the topics and we discuss them. So enjoy Political Unmuted. everyone to just a minute my name is john claire and i'm welcoming people from all over the world to see four good players of the game three of them established players paul daly stuart sutherland and samantha townsend well but we have a new player of the game and her name is lauren conway welcome lauren to the show and your task will be of course to speak for a minute on the topic i've given you um, without deviation, hesitation, or repetition. Now, I take it that Laura, when she recruited you, she told you that these were the rules of the game. You're, you're, you're ready for this, uh, sort of, so um, that we'll, we'll be pleased to welcome you. Everybody, it's great. Here's the team. We're going to talk about some fabulous things today, so it's smashing to see you. Um, and uh, I've said hello to everybody. Just wait, I've just wait before we go. Sam! You've been knocking down sheds or, 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 or that? Yes, I've been ripping up a shed base, which I inherited on my allotment. It's been in my way for two years. And I decided on Bank Holiday Monday, I was going to have at it. What are, what, are you doing with the, what are you doing with the wood? Uh, I don't know whether I can tell you, because I don't know whether really, it's allowed. Have you burned that? I th- believe I can burn it. You can, providing it's not a nuisance to anybody, but it's not very climatist, is it, really? Well, yeah, but... (laughs) Stuart, how's your campaign going? Okay, I got me uh, leaflet today. Yes. Have you got a copy? Can we have a look? I don't. It's downstairs. Uh, I don't want to give away all my secrets. All right, of course. That's right. The big reveal. When yeah. it's sort of two people's letterboxes. Absolutely fantastic. Paul, hello. Hello. Any news? Conferencing. Ridiculously busy all the time. Loads of things going I, on I, in socialist think tank. I've seen you getting cross about, um, uh, what do they call those schools? Um, Academies? That's right. Privatisation by stealth, as I like to call them. Yeah. And ridiculously, what, what was it? A primary school, a small primary school with a, a head teacher, an executive head teacher and a CEO? Yeah, the, the, this is a, basically the idea of academies is they'll just strip... Um, They'll strip resources away from the classroom and uh, and two CEOs. This one CEO that's on four hundred and fifty thousand. Repetition of CEO. I'm sorry, Paul. That's it. Um, I'm going to pass to um, uh, Lauren. Um, uh, Lauren, uh, welcome. Sort of, sort of. I, I'm just being silly today, and I, I don't know why. I'm normally very, very serious, and uh, sort of. Um, one, you might catch me singing if we if we if, if it breaks up. Um, tell us about yourself, Lauren. Hiya, so my name's Lauren, Um, I'm living in Hartlepool but I'm originally from Barnsley, Um, I am a socialist, uh, just left Labour and kind of in a bunch of different political movements, ACORN, IWW, NEU. Um, Stop, 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 ACORN. Yeah. What is it? ACORN, okay, so it's a tenants and community union, so they use direct action and campaigning to improve people's living conditions. So that means like they go after dodgy landlords to get things fixed. 
So you're not going to be one of those people who direct action, that's going to get you a £10,000 fine, isn't it, in, in, in the near future? Yeah, basically the new law? Will you fall foul of the new law with your direct action tactics? No, because I think they're, well, intimidation tactics, to be honest. Right, okay. Um, IWW? The IWW, so uh, Industrial Workers of the World. I've only just joined them, uh, but they're a union, a workers' union. What kind right, of they do? An Anti-capitalist one. They use direct action as well <sighs> uh, to get results. Right, okay. So, so, so I mean, and, and by direct action, because people are, are fascinated here, um, sort of what kind of direction might you be going to be using? So they've won member cases by, you know, holding pickets and rallies outside uh, workplaces, the types of things that, you know, used to be the bread and butter of ordinary unions. But now um, I suppose unions have been taken away from workplaces. You know, a lot of places class uh, union activists going on site as trespass. So at the moment, because the laws are so strict on what you can do, you actually have to kind of break those laws to get results. Right. I mean, by direct action, I'm imagining lying down in the streets, um, sort of blocking access to lorries and things like that. Do you do, do IWW get up to that kind of direct action, or is it sort of aggressive picketing? Yeah, I've not actually taken part in any yet, so watch this space. But it's some some direct action I've taken part in with Acorn is performing phone blockades on. Um, landlords' offices and things like that. So we call up, it's completely socially distanced, uh, but what it does is disrupt business and it gets results. Obviously, this is when they've tried everything else. So people will call up uh, again and again and again, different members all day long, so that the letting agents can't do business. And this has been getting results for tenants, getting things fixed, getting rents reduced and stopping evictions. When I was when I was starting on politics, which sort of there was one thing that uh, sort of we wanted to stop, and so what we did is we organised kind of a phone up with councillors, and we just spent all night on a rotor phoning up councillors all night, and the, as soon as we put on the phone, the phone went again, and somebody else was so eventually they got wind of it, it but, but sort of it got us noticed. Um, NEU, I know what they are. I think I'm in the NEU. It's an educational union, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. Um, so we don't actually have a branch in Hartlepool, so we're just having our first few meetings. How is your, uh, how, are you involved in the, oh no, because you won't be campaigning for Labour in the, in the Hartlepool election, will you? What are you doing in the Hartlepool election? Uh, I've not decided yet. I've joined the Northern Independence Party, but I'm kind of just a bit of a bystander at the moment. But we're talking about that later. That's very exciting. Yes, yeah. Um, well, I'm glad we invited you on. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's really smashing. Um, but I'm going to move on to, for obvious reasons, as people will see, because we got a huge, big story. And, and of course, we've got to get through. The moment of the week. Okay. Um, who am I? I can't hear the damn thing here. Sort of, sort of, you can hear the music, but I can't listen. Um, Stuart, moment of the week. Uh, oh, I've got a couple. First of all, uh, I've got my wife. Uh, I've got a week off with her. So, you know, she's got no excuse but to help me campaign. Uh, <laughs> so, second, uh, I've just found this out. Uh, Unite have apparently spent 97 million quid on a hotel and conference centre that was apparently going to cost 7 million quid. 
and uh, it spiralled out of control. And uh, I think uh, even as a member of Unite, we should be all be looking into how members' funds are spent. Worse than the DCCHQ, that, for goodness sake. Sort of, Richard Holden will be having apoplexy about that, I, I tell you. Sort of, um, mm. you won't know where to look. What's your second one? Oh, was that the was that the second one? Get Ashley to myself for a week. First one, Unite spending a lot of money uh, and needing an inquiry. Second one. The last time I helped my I asked my wife to help me with my canvassing, she eventually went out to deliver some leaflets. She fell up the step in the first um, house she got to, broke broke her wrist, and has never done anything since. Just be careful what you ask your wife to do. Sort of um, Samantha, moment of the week. I was pleased to see uh, the launch of the campaign Action on Amazon uh, that has sprung up over the last week. Um, I'm, I'm really happy about it. I mean, I, I was upset about Amazon warehouses being built in the Northeast before they were built in the Northeast. As soon as I heard that there was planning permission for them, I thought, oh, this is, this is trouble coming our way because they do have a specific way of working. Uh, I, I have talked to people who have worked at Amazon and they've been quite positive about it, but they say things like, uh, you can have as many breaks as you want as long as you fulfill your quota. And you can drink as much coffee as you want, as long as you fulfill your quota, you know, and there's break rooms everywhere. Yes, because they don't want you to waste time walking to a break room. <laughs> um, so I'm really glad that that's been looked at seriously and the Amazon workers have somewhere to go if they feel they are being exploited. Um, I've um, got some experience of uh, people working um, are agency workers in various, um, and uh, one of the sad things is that Amazon are by far not the worst mm. um, place you can work. There are many, many worse places to work than Amazon. It's a big problem. Um, that's a well, that that's that is the issue, isn't it? What you what people on the street say is, oh well, I worked X Y Z. I worked seventy two hours a day here, and I didn't have a break. So what are you complaining about? Um, but we need to stop this race to the bottom and, yeah. and get some real workers' rights back in this place. <laughs> and that, Lauren, of course, is why we need decent unions. And so sort of, uh, we we've lost so much so much and, and and people are just being treated as a factor production um i'm going to come to you last lauren for your moment of the week then you get the idea of what how it works and uh so paul moment of your week well, the moment of the moment is uh there seems to be a youtube versus facebook battle going on for comments and they're flying in from both so that's really good to see who's going to win that's uh that's what's interesting me at the moment but um the the other the my real moment of the week is uh the trade union conference nasuwt which you referred to earlier and i'm going to talk about the political speeches we had speeches from kate green the shadow secretary of state from education she appeared live um, given that she said she'd fully supported teachers and them being safe and having, I've previously commented that that wasn't actually true. Um, that was a pretty low moment. We were kind of quite annoyed at that one. But then Gavin Williamson came on and did a pre-recorded message, message, which was... Even worse. <laughs> Well, it, it, he was just saying how brilliant they'd supported teachers and how, how, how much they'd cared about teachers and stuff. And we're like... 
God, that was awful. That was, that was really, really bad. So, like, I was thinking Kate Green might get a one out of ten. And then he managed to limbo underneath that. And I was like, okay, we've got Kia Starmer now. He's going to have to dig. And dig he did. Um, <laughs> somehow managed to be worse. He, he said exactly the same as uh, Gavin Williamson. Which was like just just the exact same as Gavin Williamson, only he said it in forty seconds, and also said like that weird catchphrase of Britain is the best place to grow up in and the best place to grow old in, and like and we're sitting there we're like, well, there was no point in you doing this. This was so like he hadn't supported teachers, he hadn't supported people who work in schools. Um, we've seen the coronavirus spread. He did support the government. We could have done with some challenge. It's a bit late now, and I think we can see the way things are going with that one. So, um, yeah, a negative one there for um, for Starmer. So he managed to dig underneath that bar. Well done. Thank you very much for updating us on that. And finally, Lauren, what's your moment of the week been? So I'm going to talk to you about uh, the community cupboards across the northeast, the troubles that we've had, and the solution that we found. So across the northeast. Um, in well there's some in newcastle in annick and saltburn and in hartlepool more recently we've been using bt phone boxes to share food out of um but about a month ago we all got an eviction notice from bt so before we just used to put food in and it was really simple leave what you can take what you need and it's a response to kind of the patchy food bank provision we know food banks are struggling because of the pandemic more people are using them but bt have said that you know, we need to, they need to remove the telephone boxes, which is funny because they're not remo removing the others that are just used to be weeding or, you know, that are smashed. Uh, but the ones where we're sharing food and doing something useful, shock horror, they want to take them out. So it said that we need to try and adopt them with the council. So I got in touch with the council and the council said that we weren't allowed to do it because of health and safety. Uh, someone might tamper with the food and then someone might get ill. We were told so they're not going to allow us to adopt them and also they said that if the phone box falls into disrepair they're already in disrepair we've cleaned them we up know, we know we know yeah <laughs> yeah um so yeah what was your solution lauren how did you solve it what's the solution what was the solution yeah so i look i found a group in saltburn and they're sharing food out of community cupboards in people's gardens and it's been going really well so we're going to start doing that so we're looking for people whose gardens they wouldn't mind us using community cupboards community cupboards thank you so much for that idea i've never heard of that before and it's uh, uh vital and sad okay um we're gonna move on now um just six minutes late don't worry now it's time for the big story Okay, and um, our big story today is race, really. Um, the the, the lead title is Doreen Lawrence says that the number, report, number 10 report gives racists the green light. This was the report which said basically we don't have racism in, in the United Kingdom, which was nice to find out. Uh, but then we've had a couple of issues which, which makes you wonder that, um, sort of which we'll discuss as, as we go on. But let's kick off Paul. Does um, uh, the report give racists a green light? I'd, 
I don't know whether it does or not. Like, racism is dead dead clearly here. It's dead obvious. I think it was more about the government just patting itself on the back and burying its head in the sand. You know, like, we've got a, we've got a prime minister who described people as, as uh, flag-waving, picking in ease with watermelon smiles. You know, he, he, like, you know, that he's clearly, he clearly definitely does racist things. I'm quite reluctant to brand people a racist forever. I'm an anti-racist, which means I believe people can change their mind. I believe that most people are redeemable if they learn what's going on. But there is no effort at all to acknowledge anything. Like, say, I've I've definitely held racist beliefs in my life. It's not been true and it's not been on purpose. It's not been because I've been a bad person. It's because I didn't know. I didn't know any better. And over time, you learn, you improve. And that's what anti-racism is about. It's about learning what how you can be better and how you how you can relate to people better and the and the challenges other people face that you just simply wouldn't think of because you only know your own situation until you try to learn other people's. So we've got this thing, like, in the report, they even said about how, like, they tried to put a positive spin on slavery and uh, and colonialism and the empire and how, like, you know, like they, they try to describe um, the Caribbean experience rather than talking about the slave trade. And you're like... If you want to go into a little bit of background of where modern racism comes from, and I'm sure that there's like always been something where people who look different to one another, perhaps different skin colours and what have you, might treat each other a little bit differently based on that. But modern modern racism as it is was caused by the slave trade because we had a period where we had slavery and then we had... Um, it used to be justified because of the belief in God God wouldn't let people wouldn't let us do this if it was bad, so slavery must be okay. And then the period of the Enlightenment came when they started to try and use reason and scientific reason, and they go, and we've got a bunch of slaves here, and if they're humans and we're humans and we've got them, you can't justify this. So they started pretending that people with different skin colours were inferior humans, and that's where race, as it stands now, like they were a different race of people. They aren't, we aren't a different race of people. There's one race, that's it. We're human, we're homo sapiens, that's it. But uh, imperialism and, um, and the slave trade had to justify itself by doing this. If you want to try and say, actually, the slave trade wasn't that bad, on how far do you want to miss the mark? This is totally frustrating, absolutely horrible for people who see these things. One positive in there was... Um, was something about actually it's your material circumstances like your that that you basically they were saying if you are poor that affects your outcomes more but why is it that people with certain skin colors are more likely to be poor you know what i mean it's like yes there is structural racism we've seen like a neo-nazi being expelled from the police this week um, and he managed to get into the police force, and people didn't notice. <laughs> Imagine like a, a proper neo-Nazi, and like, oh yeah, he's fine. Yeah, he's he's all right. Him, you know, bit of a laugh. You know, like, what 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 was going on there where they didn't re- recognize someone with particularly racist views? That's where we are. We've got really real real major problems with racism, and this does nothing to help. Does it just briefly, Paul? Does it actually set back anti-racism? Uh, does it set back that cause? Because basically it tries to um, 
uh, I, I, am I allowed to say it tries to whitewash it, really, um, sort of in every sense of that word? Um, sort of, does it actually set back the the, the cause? Um, yes, I suppose it does a little bit set back the cause, although I'm not sure... Um, I'm not sure how far it sets it back. Like, this government's doing that anyway. Obviously, they're just patting themselves on the back. It's a political political exercise. So um, I'm not really sure how we could do much worse with it. But, you know, they could probably try. Stuart, what um, sort of were you as horrified as Paul? Yeah, absolutely. Excuse me two seconds. We've lost um, Lauren, haven't we? Yeah, it's, uh, we've, we've moved to a backup screen, and hopefully she comes back in. But, uh, yeah. Good directing. She hasn't taken objection to anything we've been saying. I, I'm terrified. I, I would seriously be surprised, but, you know. Right, okay. <laughs> as long as I haven't said something wrong. Uh, Stuart, uh, you were talking to us. Please forgive me. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're, we're quite aware of the racism that goes on in Britain. And I think any government that, you know, completely ignores the fact and gaslights people into the idea that there is no racism, uh, that that's leading you down a path where they're not going to legislate to protect people against racism. You know, that's that's the real worry, that this is setting the course of how this government is going to tackle these inequalities in law. And, you know, that's really scary because how, how do we get back towards uh, steering the law the right way? Um, the um, sort of... Uh, what Paul Smith says is that um, it's a manifesto of white supremacy. Now, would you get that the report is a manifesto of white supremacy? Would you go as far as that, or is that an overstatement? Uh, I mean, nobody's pretending that the, the report that the report um, is even correct. But uh, would you? I mean, what Paul is suggesting is that it's going further. It's actually um, racist in itself intrinsically in content, yeah absolutely it is i mean there's clearly a, a an intent with uh, the report i mean the fact that there's whole sections that are just fabricated it appears uh, with regards to people making uh, given input and reference and the, the, this whole idea that they've taken away love is fabricated that's that's really worrying as well i mean i i saw people um complaining that they'd been cited as one of the authorities and they hadn't communicated at all with the uh, with the, the, the commission um, or given permission for their work to be cited. I mean, that's alarming in the extreme. I mean, one of the things that Tim Dredge has raised, um, Sam, is that we've, you know, having just claimed that we are not, um, that there is no structural racism in British society, we then have the... Um, scandal in the northwest of Durham where two Tory candidates have had the, the Tories have had to suspend them. I mean this must be bad. The Tories have suspended them for racism. I mean what does is uh, is this is the Tory party intrinsically racist or does this prove that they're not racist? I think there's a there's a real problem with the the new wave of Tories. I mean remember what happened is that the the Bre UKIP and the Brexit Party kind of came into its its 
final hours around Brexit time. And there were lots of people emboldened and empowered by that. And then once Brexit happened, they sort of fizzled out, but they didn't disappear. I'm not saying everybody who was involved in the Brexit party was racist, but I definitely in engaging on a political level with people who are in political parties, I've experienced more racism from people who are associated with UKIP or the Brexit party than anywhere else. Um, and I just think, um, you know, it is a worry that we have swung to such a, a right wing sort of narrative in this country where people will genuinely talk about letting immigrants die on boats uh, and that's a totally sensible and not at all scary thing for people to say you know our discourse has swung so far to the right and it is scary so I just think we have to be aware of these things and we need to ground ourselves and make sure that when people do express abhorrent views like these these people did that that we're not afraid to call them out and, and report them where necessary um, Ruth Davidson, I think this is a cracking uh, statement. I cannot understand how anyone can go around saying racism doesn't exist, sexism doesn't exist, inequalities are a thing of the past, as if somehow we're at some pinnacle of human evolution. There is always work to be done. I mean, I, I like the idea that sort of actually... We, we we will never get to the bottom of eradicating racism because as fast as fast as we er eradicate the the, the exhi exhibitions of that racism, we realise that there's other prejudices deep inside of us. This is building on something that Paul said. I mean, do you think that this is um, that there's an ongoing work to to get on with there, and that that sort of there's a long long way to go, or do you think that sort of we're making strides forward at the moment? Sam. It's trying to keep up with the, the comments and everything. I know, I know. They're, they're smashing at the moment. They don't blame uh, you. We, we are making good progress, but I think what Ruth says is absolutely right. We've always, there's always going to be something. And what Ray said as well about class, uh, you know, and bringing in the intersectionality of it, you know, we can't just... It, if middle class white people and middle class black and brown people are doing all right, we can't then just go, oh, well, there we go. We've got we've got equality of the races. We need to look at all different social uh, income levels, all different educational levels, all different, whether you're LGBT or trans, you know, it, it's just it's so complicated. And as as we progress, we see more ways in which people are marginalized you know we, we wouldn't have even thought about all of the different ways people can be discriminated against 20 years ago no. but now we do know it's it's incumbent on us to work on it i mean i'd wanted to ask this question to um lauren but she's not here with us so i'm going to go back to paul um because um i mean one of the things i'm learning is that there's things that are catching me by surprise all the time and 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 so for instance a recent one was where um somebody uh, wrote to somebody uh, within the context of um anti-semitism so you got your 30 pieces of silver and and sort of now this is something that we used to talk about all the time uh, as, a, as a sign of betrayal but sort of and of course it has deeply 
anti-Semitic overtones. And of course, the other one is um, oh, you can get um, you can get her in here. Are you with us yet, Lauren? Hello. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask you this question now. So what I'll do, excuse me, listeners, I'll just sum up very briefly. So we've been talking about racism. We we're talking about the uh, report that Doreen Lawrence said give racist the green light. Um, Paul said uh, uh, virtually he definitely does. Um, I went to uh, Stuart, who made some really good comments about it, which I forget what they were. And then Sam, um, sort of, uh, I asked her, is the Tory party racist? And she makes some really good comments about uh, what's going on in Northwest Durham and, and, and those two candidates there. And, and sort of, and there's a really good debate going on about um, on whether Brexit is to blame or whether Brexit is the outworking of all this going out. So that's really smashing. And and sort of and the next question was that um, and, and and Ruth Davison quoted something says that, you know, there's just racism everywhere. We're not at the pinnacle of human evolution. There's a huge work to do. And I'm, I floated the idea that, in fact, we're all learning all the time. And so, for instance, recently, as when I was brought up as a child in church, sort of we very often talked about Judas and his 30 pieces of silver as a mark of betrayal. But when it's in the context of anti-Semitism, it becomes a deeply anti-Semitic trope because, of course, Judas was Jewish and he was the one who betrayed Jesus and so you've got to be very careful when you use that and sort of it just took me by surprise and the other one that's um taken a shadow man this is the question to you Lauren sort of I know it's a long question but I had to fill you in with what was going on sort of was of course the Labour shadow equalities minister who got caught by surprise talking about a GRT intrusion Incursion. In incursion. Incursion. It was on a leaflet. Incur and it was she was handing out leaflets, which sort of basically said and one of the things the Labour Party is going to do is, is sort out these GRT incursions. And her thing was was I had no idea that the word incursion was so offensive. What do you reckon to that? I'm just having to look up what incursion is, and it means it's an invasion or or an attack. Wow. So I think the Gypsy Roma traveller community have become a bit of an easy target, and it's classic dog whistle politics, in my opinion. In fact, it's, it is overt racism. And because this, they're a group that, I suppose, it's, it's like um, almost an acceptable, the most acceptable form of racism seems to be against Gypsy Roma traveller people. Um, yeah, I don't really... Paul, sort of, thank you. Thank you, Lauren. Paul, I mean, you're very hot on GRT racism. Sort of, do you have any sympathy with the minister, at, with the shadow minister at all? No. Um, so she has she has previously been quite a friend to the GRT community, which is really interesting. So we've um, worked at Sedgefield, as you know, with um, GRT Labour, who've now recently denounced that name and become GRT socialists. I was yesterday interviewing um, Luke Wenman from GRT socialists, 
really really nice uh nice fella you know um we get on really well and he explained this system so well and the kind of races in the face so i recommend that uh, people do watch that and also he's coming on socialist night live on saturday to talk about this very issue so we get things so wrong but actually it's possibly a way of life thing so racism a lot of the time is about control it's about like kind of preserving the way of life that uh, you want to have and if you see someone else going around and they live in a different lifestyle they're going around and living in a in a caravan they're not in one fixed place that is a threat to them and we've got to be really really super careful on um on how people are treated in that respect lauren did refer to it as being an almost like an acceptable form of racism and i think she's right in that in that sense i've heard people think that there's absolutely nothing wrong with generalizing about an entire group of people and racism is simply when you generalize about a group of people um who aren't like and, and think well actually that speaks for all of them. You know, one person speaks for everyone. And I think that's what racism is. Um, Stuart, one of the things that I saw was that um, the uh, GRT community um, face massive uh, disparity of reporting in the press. Do you think that this is a press um, creation um, or, or do you think that it's something more sinister? Uh. I think uh, the, the, the whole uh, nomadic lifestyle and the, the systems from, in place that we have across the country uh, to to make sure, you know, people are supported, taxes are collected, uh, you know, sites are looked after, these people are, you know, looked after education. The, the, the whole uh, lifestyle isn't well educated to, to people outside of the GIT community. You know, the, the government makes no effort to explain that, yes, these people pay taxes. You know, there's a system in place that allows, you know, nomadic people to pay taxes. These things aren't expressed well at all by, by local government, by government. And it's dead easy for, for media who want to sell a, you know, a certain narrative against somebody to say, look, they're, they're getting a free ride. They're, they're do, doing as they please. They just come and take what they want and leave. They don't. You know, so there's, there's there's education to be done, and it's not just by the GRT community to, to non-GRT people, but, uh, you know, the governments and local structures need to do that educating as well. Yeah. I mean, Sam, um, I, I was on one um, forum today, which was being deeply critical of Durham County Council, um, which came as a surprise to me because I, I, I was hoping that we, we, we were doing quite well about this. What do you think uh, the local the councils need to do to help ease uh, and to, to, to correct um, what is quite clearly um, uh, racist um, bias against? Uh, and they sort of don't like the word community, GRT people. I, I mean, I think Stuart's right is uh, because it's a deeply entrenched racism across our country that people have a total blind spot towards. Um, it's not a popular conversation to have, so councils don't tend to talk about it because they know it's going to be difficult. Um, but 
if we're going to be actively anti-racist, we need to talk about it and we need to um, explain to residents what facilities are available for Gypsy Roma traveller people um, and explain that. Um, the, the the whole thing about what's coming in enforced in the new law, the idea of a traveller passport, you know, you can't, um, like, the idea of freedom for some Gypsy Roma traveller people is so deeply entrenched, you can't legislate around it. Um, so we have to find a way for people to coexist and, and live their, their life as they uh, have been brought up to do, as is deeply part of their culture, and help us all coexist together. That's part of the council's job, isn't it? To help people coexist harmoniously, you know, as a society. Um, so I think that th there is a lot of education that needs to come from, from the council, but also we need to find ways of um, integrating uh, or offering people the opportunity to come together as a wider community when the Gypsy Roma Traveller community are in the town, uh, create opportunities for people to talk to each other, to see each other as real human beings um, and recognise the fact that, you know, yeah, there's some badins, there's some badins like who live in a house all year round as well you know there's plenty of people who live in a house all year round who fly tip and do bad things we can't just tar all gypsy roma traveler people with with the same brush uh i personally intentionally try to have conversations about the fact that when the gypsy roma traveler community are in shildon they don't cause crime. They, they don't actually generally cause a lot of the things they accused of causing like a mess. You know, there's plenty of fly tip in the rest of the year. Um, so I just think we have to we have to bite the bullet and 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 talk about these things openly and honestly. Yes. Um, one lovely thing that happened in uh, ATIF last year was that um, when people were moving and they weren't going to Appleby Fair, of course, but sort of nevertheless, many people went out and started, uh, went on the road. And uh, sort of uh, a family uh, came and stayed uh, at the junction of Burnhill Way and Burn Lane. And they seemed to know everybody and were very, very well liked. And the people stopped and chatted with them. And uh, just the kind of atmosphere you would have wanted to see. And... Um, Sort of, and, and I suppose it's a, a thing to my shame um, that I was surprised to see that, but delighted. Last word to you, Paul, and then I'm going to move on. On, on, the, on the entire situation or on, on GAT uh, racism? Uh, sort of, um, I, 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 I think uh, sort of uh, either, as you prefer, but the, sort of going back to the idea of the whole thing of racism in, in our society, just sum it up for us. People need to start understanding one another. People need to stop being, I get you know, condemnation of racism and cancelling people forever is a really terrible idea. So we need to understand that people are on a journey to try to make them better. If you're a real anti-racist, you will think that people can change. Otherwise, there is no point. However, denying the problem 
is absolutely appalling. So we need to start listening to people and educating people and treating one another as human beings and understanding that we have lived in a system that has created massive problems for a, a massive group of people. For me, it's more of a class issue as well. It's like a, it's a working class issue. Working class people are treated incredibly badly. And, and on top of that, people suffer from racism as well, which makes them more likely to face those working class problems. Thank you. Um, lovely comment, an interesting comment by Jane Strange here um, uh, about the forced adoption of traveller children in the 1980s. I knew nothing about that at all. It's... Uh, 1980s. Anyway, uh, we're going to move on to other questions. Thank you. Um, uh, Northern Independence Party. Um, Sam. Good thing or a bad thing? We so we seem to have lost Lauren again, which is is because I'd hoped she could tell us more about it. No, no, no. When I saw this, I thought it was a good thing, but then Paul went mad about it, and I thought, oh, did he have said the wrong thing? So, I mean, what do you think about this now? Uh, I think for me, it's it's early days for me to get excited about the Northern Independence Party. Um, I liked seeing them posting on Twitter and the things they were putting out. It felt like it was there to provoke people thinking and to provoke a response, which I liked. Um, but now that they're putting themselves out as a genuine political party, I'm a bit like, nah, because they're now coming out with pledges and promises which have not been... Uh, actualized 20 years after we started de devolving power to Scotland, you know, so we're talking about, yeah, these are nice things that could happen in 40 years time, but I, I need to know what's going to happen after the next election. And, and that makes me sound like, uh, like, <laughs> like somebody who I, I would not usually like to listen to when they're talking about politics. I'm not like, oh, we need to get power and power's the only thing. It's not that. Um, but I just think it's a bit disingenuous to, to campaign on the things they're campaigning on when there is absolutely no way with one MP in Parliament that they can deliver anything like that. Um, and I'm also just generally not... Like for me, if you're a hyper-local party that wants power for local people, then your candidates should definitely come from the local area and they should be chosen by the local people and none of that has happened. So I'm just like, yeah. So I like them as a Twitter account. I like the the idea as a thought experiment, but uh, I'm not hugely excited about the idea of them standing as a political party. What do you think about the idea that the North is just so different and disparate that you're never going to unite it into a political entity anyway? I mean, this has been the death of devolution in the Northeast, that we're, mm. sort of, we're all at each other's throats and so very, very different about in so many vital aspects that it's been impossible to organise anything politically, even just sort of in the LA, LA7, never mind the LA12. I mean, do, do you think that devolution is an impossible dream? 
think devolution, uh, as in making decisions locally that affect local people, is a really important and necessary thing. Um, But I think, yeah, dividing people by geography alone is is a problem. And actually, it's a total gift to the Tories. I'm not talking about this election in Hartlepool. It's a total gift to the Tories if we start chopping up England, just like it was a gift to the Tories when the Scottish National Party started to rise in Scotland, because it made us a lot harder to achieve a Labour government, uh, whoever the Labour leader is and however well they perform. Um, So I just think as as a socialist project under the current electoral system, which we have, which is first past the post, it's it's a it's a bit uh, impossible. Maybe after we've achieved uh, proportional representation, I might review it again as an idea of something that's worth doing. But to me, being a socialist means standing in solidarity with socialists in London, socialists in Cornwall, so, um, and not cutting myself off for, from them. Uh, when I say unity is strength, uh, I mean it. Um, thank you, Stuart. I mean, Samantha's t- touched on the fact that this is an avowedly socialist um, uh, party with socialist ideals. I mean, one, does that surprise you? Um, and secondly, does that attract you? I mean, it, it doesn't surprise me in the slightest. You know, I've seen socialists manifest in other places within the Labour Party. And certainly in the last year, they've had, uh, you know, little choice often, but uh, to find uh, other places to be. Now, the bit that, you know, the, the bit that's getting me between Labour and the, the Northern Independence Party is the things that I'm, I'm pulling up the Labour Party on as being wrong are also still wrong with the Northern Independence Party, how they selected the candidate. You know, that's not an alternative of picking, you know, you want democracy from the Labour Party and you're not going to jump ship and go to a, a different party that is also socialist, but also isn't doing democracy right. You know, that's not an alternative for me. Uh, I, I'm not you know, jumpmanship anytime soon. Uh, but certainly it, it's, a, it's a very interesting dynamic and it shows you, you know, how important by-elections are that they've stirred this kind of shift from a, a small group of social media people to, to becoming a, a political party. I mean, Ray Goodspeed's on there sort of talking about it's just another split in the working class. I mean, do you uh, you seem to be saying that it might even just be evidence of the disintegration of the the, the political left in, into a sort of a whole so it, it, into a chaos of different causes? Um, I mean, is that what we're looking at here? Yeah, I mean, if if you're not allowed to organise within the Labour Party, people will organise elsewhere, and I think that's what you might be seeing here. That is a really interesting thought, Stuart. Thank you. Uh, finally, Paul, I, I hardly dare ask you because you got so upset about it last time I mentioned it. Um, sort of. Um, so I'm going to just sort of step back a little bit and um, and, and, and ask you, that finishes off on this t- topic, is, is there any anything but bad about this idea? 
I am. Um, I can't remember being particularly upset about it, but I, I, I don't know. I'd, I've done many, many things over the past few weeks, so uh, yeah, it's possible. Um, we had a show about this on Saturday night uh, on on Socialist Night Live, um, and we talked about it. And there's loads of there's loads of really refreshing things, as as both Stuart and Samantha have said about the way they're campaigning, the way they're absolutely fearless, um, the way they're not being bullied by false allegations. Um, and I think that's a really, really important point. You know, they they are they are not just taking things lying down. They will not have this media narrative thrust upon them and accept it as being true. And I wish the Labour Party had done that before. Um, I I think uh, I think the way the campaigning is, you know, it's fun. We've needed this little bit of an injection of hope because the Labour Party has just imploded on itself. They're not even offering hopeful policies at the moment, which is which is a real um, which is a real disappointment, and it's created the space for something like this. And you know, I'll, I'll say that as a, a pretty loyal Labour Party member, um, I don't think the Labour Party nationally is reflecting the membership that I know. How um, but people used to say this under Corbyn, so maybe this is what the Labour Party is meant to be like, and we were wrong for coming in and being all enthusiastic and saying let's change everything. So it's a little bit of a difficult political situation at the moment to know whether actually who's in the right is it the people who want the Labour Party to be a dour thing that sticks uh, that makes sure that the establishment remains. Or do we want to be something that wants to have social change, that wants to see people's lives improve, that want to see the powerful um, lose their power and give power to ordinary people? Um, I would say I would hope the latter, but I don't know. With regards to the Northern Independence Party, I think their weakest argument is the Northern Independence bit. Not because I'm not like proud to be Northern. I think I much more relate to the idea of being Northern than I do to a lot of... Um, a lot of what I see down south, and etc. However, I've got socialist friends all over this country, all over the place. I know that there are people who have exactly the same circumstances or worse circumstances than me in London. You know, look at the working class in London. Um, don't don't just dismiss London because there's lots of rich people there. There's also a lot of poor people who are forced to look after those rich people and in, in awful conditions. So I'm not really sure where splitting off helps us. And I also had a bit of a problem with um, Philip Proudfoot seems almost like quite proud to be British, but also wants to split off from Northumbria. Now, there's only one form in form North, Northumbria. There's only one form of nationalism that I agree with, and that's anti-imperialism. And if you're kind of proud to be British... And people can be proud to be British for a variety of reasons. But if you're going to make little twee statements about like Britain being, you know, oh, this is such a British thing to do. I don't know. It just doesn't sit right with me. I don't think they really want an independent nation. I don't think there's any uh, real substance to it. Everything else, brilliant, like in the form of like that, that really positive form of campaigning. And I think their membership are just like a lot of them are ex-Labour, a lot of them are people who never were Labour and they're enthusiastic and I love seeing enthusiasm in politics and I love seeing socialist policies. I'm just not sure how that fits in with being in an independent nation that is also kind of British as well as, you know, it's, it's a confused message, let's say, but they're only a few months old, so let's give them... 
let's give them a little bit of a break for that that they haven't fully got it there I actually think the room was there for an, for a party to be doing what they were doing without the northern independence element really interesting thank you very much some fabulous comments on the discussion everybody and and what's interesting is the way this seems to absolutely overlap with the loss of hope in the labor party since the departure of jeremy corbyn and 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 sort of whatever you thought about him um those few years when he was in charge there was a kind of a, a, a an injection of hope across the labor party a hope for for a different way of doing things and the death of that with the loss of corbyn um is definitely being linked on the on the um, comments thread um, with the sort of whether or not we agree with this. Um, Paul, dubious whether this is a proper answer. And an awful lot of people saying we just need solidarity as, as socialists. Thank you so much for your comments. Thank you, team, for your, your comments. And finally, I'm going to finish uh, with, well, we've got one more very important topic after this, but sort of um, I'm going to finish by asking um, Sam, um, we've had another report, um, uh, an, uh, another kind of uh, uh, sort of glossing over of things. Um, the Sarah Everard Vigil report strongly defended, strongly defended the police's use of force. Um, what's your immediate comment about that? I feel like just a few weeks ago, we talked about reports and inquiries being toothless and like, what's the point of having an inquiry into this if nothing ever comes of it and no one gets held to account? But this is the second inquiry today we've talked about, which is said, don't worry, there's no problem here. Don't look at the man behind the curtain, um, which is just bizarre, isn't it? Like, do you feel like you're ever more fallen into a... A, an episode of Black Mirror even more than you did this time last year. Um, so it's clearly, it feels like what I'm seeing in front of me does not fit with, with what I'm be, was being is being told to me, which is worrying. It, again, you get these sort of echoes of 1984, you know, um, Julie makes a point, point that uh, reports uh, back the police after Orgreave, after Hillsborough, you know, we had this thing, the riots in um, Brighton, was it Brighton? Where where they, they, was, they said that a police Bristol. officer, Bristol, yeah, where, where they said that the police officer had broken bones and then later on they decided he didn't have broken bones after all and they retracted that, you know, um, these things have consequences and just slight misreportings like in uh in well say slight misreport the way that things are misreported matters like the way that hillsborough was misreported mattered it mattered to the families it mattered to the public uh, response immediately afterwards and those families have been fighting for years for justice and and some of them still haven't haven't really uh, achieved it so I am worried. I am worried about the idea that we're able to be sort of gaslit as a country. I think even as far back as far back as 2017, <laughs> it's not that long ago, but there's been so many elections since. Uh, even then, during the 2017 election, I thought, you know, 
the truth is dead, the truth doesn't matter. It's all about the prevailing narrative that people believe. Um, and that, that worries me a lot about how our perceptions of the country are so easily dictated by social media, which is so easily manipulated if you've got enough money to do so. So, uh, yeah, it worries me. I haven't really been able to sort of work out who I am worried about, like who I'm worried has the control and is trying to pull the wool over our eyes. Um, but somebody is, and yeah, it worries me. Thank you. Um, I mean, the issue for me, Sam, uh, and I'm, I'm not going to ask Paul or Stuart to speak because we've got the very important topic to come up here. But uh, um, the, say what we've got is mob, mob rule here. And what we, we say what we want to be true. And then we have a baying mob who say, that's right, that's right, that's right. And many of them are MPs. And, um, and sort of, and, you know, everybody shrugs and says, oh, well, that's right then. And, and, and just saying it does not make it right. I'm, I'm, I'm horrified by both these reports, just like you are. But I'm going to move on to our last question because we do have just three minutes left and it is the most important question of the evening. And, and sort of the question is, which is the best fish and chip shop? So um, I'm going to, to ask all, all of my three guests to um, tell me what they think is the best fish and chip shop. Uh, let's see how indiscreet they can be. And um, perhaps um, members of the public, you like to comment and tell us the best fish and chip shop because this is something that affects our everyday life. Okay. Um, Stuart, best fish and chip shop. Uh, it is the Almighty Cod in Seaton Crew. Tell us a bit more about the Alm Almighty Cod. Ah, uh, you know, you know when you see a big line outside a shop, that's a sign that's a good, you know, that's a good place to go. I know in COVID times, that's like, don't go anywhere near it, you know, because but it's a sign that the food's decent, yeah? Well, the Almighty Cod has a line out the door every day it's open, right? COVID season or not, they've got a queue, you know, and that's my favourite by far. Almighty so. Cod, thank you very much indeed. Um, Paul Daly, the best fish and chip shop. I'm a vegan. You're a vegan, of course. You won't yeah. have eaten fish and chips for years. Yeah, over a year now. Still, still, uh, still managing to keep the keep um the beer weight on though. So you know, one of those unhealthy vegans. Um, sort of. So you're going to be telling us um a fish and chip shop that has a vegan. My 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 whole son's family has been declared celiac, and they have found a celiac fish and chip shop. Believe it or not. Have you found a a, a fish and chip shop that offers a vegan? Yeah, we, we, we've talked about this before. You're obsessed with fish and chips, John. This is the second time we've talked about fish and chips on this. No, show. surely not. We, we did. Yeah, it was a few a few months ago. We talked about it, and I was the, there's the one up um, at Oosbourne in Newcastle, and it's now fully vegan. And that's the last place I had like a vegan fish and chips, which was I think it was some sort of tofu. And it was really nice. Not the Clooney, the one next to it. Someone will put it in the chat which one it was. Maybe Laura will put it in there. Um, but, yeah, it, it's really nice. The um, I apologise to people if we talked about this before. It's only on there because the, the Northern Echo ran a thing on which is the best <laughs> fish and chip shop. And I thought, well, we'll just do the same. Fish and chip obsessed. 
So, the, um, well, I love fish and chips, and it's so long since we had any. Um, Sam, best fish and chip shop in the world. I I, I vary. It's always one in Shildon. Uh, this time I'm going to go for Karen's place in Shildon. She has now started selling deep fried chip butties, which I haven't had one yet, <laughs> but I will. That has to be the sort of the brilliant thing. Where is Karen's ship shop in 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 Shildon? It's uh, near near sort of. Uh, it's on the Jubilee Jubilee Estate, uh, sort of near. Say near the spa. It's probably nowhere near the spa. <laughs> I drive past the spa to get to it. Thank it's the, you. It's for... the ship in, by the way. Laura helped me out. It's the ship in, in um in Oosborne in Newcastle. That's nice. All the stuff's vegan there. Really good. I've I've stopped eating meat, but I'm afraid I still eat fish and chips. So maybe I am obsessed, Paul. (laughs) Um, Listeners, thank you. God bless you so much for listening in to us. Thank you for your fabulous comments, people who have commented. You know what happens now. Um, So the most people actually stay with us. We're going to take a five-minute break while we listen to um, uh, the, the music. Then we're going to come back. Sam's going to run the show from from then on, and um, sort of we'll be indiscreet for an hour. Um, we might to... even we might even have a new frame by the time we come back because this is how quick socialist think tank work. <laughs> sort, of, yeah. um, sort of, I'd stand in awe of these people. You know that, and sort of the privilege of being here with them all every week is unbelievable. See you in five minutes' time. Bye bye. And we are back, um, even though John isn't, but Samantha. Mm, I am here. Aha! I don't get him to try and like wrestle the start of the show off. Oh, we're on the Socialist Night Live frame. That's exciting. Only, only, only for a moment. Only for a brief <laughs> moment. There's something even more exciting coming. Oh, God, I don't know oh. where I can contain myself. I'm going to need some smeller insults. I know, um, I know. <laughs> um, what was it? Um, somebody said no I'll find that in a second Jake said not having fish on a Friday is illegal isn't it I think it is definitely in primary schools because I don't know about anybody else who's got primary school age children but they all have fish on a Friday to the point where we started calling it fish Friday and then uh, they stopped um, giving them hot meals because of COVID and they're all having their meals in the <laughs> in the classrooms so the kids were like it's fish friday oh <laughs> <laughs> and actually because um we got into this habit of it's fish friday and fish friday is a good thing and uh, they had an option on their sandwiches their covid packed lunch sandwiches <laughs> that they could have tuna so i informed them that tuna is fish so if they had fi- tuna sandwiches on a friday it was still fish friday and we could still be excited about it <laughs> Oh my goodness! Julie says every Friday in a nursing home is is fish as well. Jake right. Ratcliffe was saying that um, sort of it's got yes. to be fish on a Friday. The reason I'm late back is because Barbara and I got very excited with talking about fish and chip shops. So I'm sorry, <laughs> sorry Paul. <laughs> we just proved right. <laughs> I kind of need to work out where we're all going to go in this frame. Yeah, exactly. Second, at the moment, so. at the moment, uh, <laughs> I have aged significantly and grown a beard on this new frame. <laughs> Let's see where we are. Oh gosh, yeah. Put me in the right box, Paul. 
Okay, so I'm you, Samantha. You're me. But Stuart and John are right. So if me and you swap boxes, okay. then we're okay. Um, we'll, we just jump. We just leap. And then uh, <laughs> no, I'll sort it. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, yes, my son loves Fish Friday. Absolutely. I've got to go to Oblarame's question because he uh, has been asking it all of the show and there wasn't really a lull for us to bring in a new question during the main show, but we can talk about mm-hmm. it now. Um, so he said, do does the UK still have freedom of speech? And he was referring to the the issue in the school, and I, I can't like I said I can't remember where it is. Um, it's in Yorkshire, <laughs> somewhere, where a teacher showed his students the offensive cartoon of the Prophet Muhammad, and it's caused a huge issue. And he's had death threats, and uh, you know, bad things have happened. Um, so it's a fair it's a, it's a question um i think we have to remember that freedom freedom of speech does not come without freedom of consequences i am not saying that death threats are an appropriate consequence to um anybody but i am i am saying that as an re teacher um i it's it would it's never appropriate to show students that material it's deeply offensive um it doesn't serve any educational purpose and it was totally inappropriate thing for him to do full stop there's there's no defending that you know um and he knew it was a a flashpoint but like i said i'm not defending people giving him death threats like that's that's obviously wrong um so, but no, I don't think it means that she, the UK doesn't have freedom of speech. I think it means that, you know, bad things happen sometimes. Um, and that, like I said, I'm not justifying it happening. But when we're talking about people who are oppressed by our country, we can't go ahead and sort of oppress them further and and, and do really horrendous things like pass around deeply offensive imagery like it's just a game it's not a game it, it's it's disgusting uh, has anybody else got any other thoughts on this this I, question i don't think we've lost freedom of speech but i think what people think freedom of speech is is all over the place and the way people's reactions are all over the place how can you deal with the fact that um the muslim people found that offensive without referring to the source material it's like i don't agree with covering issues up it's like you know um you can't pretend like say if you've got an old text there's a lot of people who are trying to say old texts in libraries should either come with content warnings or um or should have the words removed from them and it's like well that is covering up history and and not in a wouldn't wouldn't it's definitely important to say that is a bad thing and it's definitely important to say, like, times were different then. What is acceptable has changed. Um, and whether that was, at, like, so if you're using, like, say, the, the N-word in a text or something like that, people might find that incredibly offensive. However, it won't be the first time they've ever heard it. So it's um, it's a really, uh, it might be an offensive thing to those people, but 
erasing it from history forever is not going to happen. I think we need to understand what's gone on in the past in order to improve for the future. And, you know, if this teacher has been given, um, if people have been given this picture and the lesson has been approved before they've done it, I think that's incredibly, incredibly worrying. Um, you know, people... Uh, why do we always make everything about individuals and not about societies? I'm all about structures, not about individual people. Individual people should be able to go, okay, right, this is uh, this is a mistake I've made because how in the world can people move on otherwise? Um, I I don't know. I think I think everything is incredibly messy and people don't seem to quite understand how to deal with any situation at the moment. It's almost like, Thatcherism and you know that individualism that we've had has made us go aha if we get rid of the individual you get rid of the problem and mm. that's an absolute nonsense you know it doesn't help anyone we, we need to change systems and change society we don't need to say haha you're on the dustbin of history off you go we've solved racism you know and and I'm not even I don't actually know the full details of this case uh, but I don't think that an individual should be blamed for that. So, yeah. I mean, another thing to say is this is all kicking off in the Batley and Spen constituency, which is famous for having the most recent assassination of a politi <laughs> political figure um, in, in Joe Cox. So there clearly is, because of the... Uh, racist undertones of her murder there clearly are problems in that area that existed before joe cox was assassinated and before this thing happened in this school there are things happening that need to be resolved behind the scenes clearly um in terms of how different people from different backgrounds in that community are engaging with each other. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you, Paul. It, it really doesn't fair, doesn't, doesn't, it's not fair to come down on individual people. Um, hmm. If, the, if the school's approved it as well, like, you know, you shouldn't be going after an individual. That's, no? that's completely unfair. And I would feel completely let down by my employer if they'd approved it and then and let it, like, seem to come down on an individual. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's a challenge. Oblerim always asks really good, challenging questions, and it's it's hard. And we often say, "I'm not quite sure what the answer is here," but it gets us into quite open discussions, and I really like that. I think my feeling on this is that I think it's relevant that it was for children, and um, you know, I don't think anybody on the panel would think that it's okay to show anything to children. There'll be images that you would never dream of taking into the classroom and showing to children. That's not um, a, a lack of freedom of speech. That's just an awareness of what is appropriate um, for children to be able to discuss and to contemplate. And sort of what we as adults would want to look at and discuss and would demand the right to do so is not necessarily appropriate for children to do it. 
Now, it works the other way as well, of course, because uh, very often they'll sort of say, well, what's all this about sex education for children? I'm, I'm, I'm totally against sex education for, for children under the age of seven. But of course, it's mediated appropriately to that age group. And sort of, so the job of a teacher is to mediate the content to the uh, appropriately to the age group that they find themselves teaching. And with respect to the school and the teacher, and uh, sort of, the, this is going to sound harsh, and I apologize, but sort of, when you saw what happened. Uh, in um, in Paris, when um, an inappropriate cartoon was published, they should have known that this was a no-go area. And they found out that it was. And it was inappropriate to show that to the children. And the reaction of the parents um, absolutely demonstrates that. Um, so... Um, Having said that, I mean, how old was the teacher? I mean, get out of the job. That's all. Just to go and find a, a different job. But the, there was a misjudgment on behalf of the school and then the, the member of staff who chose uh, to, 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 to show it. Um, uh, I have the right to look at um, any, as an adult, to look at any content I wish and to make a judgment about that and to discuss it openly. That is my political and my religious right to make choices like that, sort of. Um, so there is no, I don't find there's any uh, attack on freedom of speech here, but what there is, is perhaps a, a need to discuss what is appropriate in the classroom and to, to what extent we should take care of people's religious sensitivities within the way we teach children. I think that's fine, but Anne keeps making the point that um, it, this is a pre-approved lesson, it wasn't his choice, this is on the curriculum. I think that's what she's trying to say. I'm, I'm not sure whether or not that's true, but Anne's making that point quite strongly that this person was, you know, was made to teach the lesson, I think. <laughs> but I don't know. So, I mean, to that, I would say, um, I mean, I agree with the point that uh, as a teacher, you're given something to teach, you deliver it, then, it, you know, it all shouldn't fall on your head if it comes out wrong. Uh, there isn't a national curriculum for religious education. Religious education is the only subject which is agreed locally through a standing advisory council on religious education, which is part of the local council. Um, Another problem we have with religious education within this country is that it's still a mandatory subject up until school leaving age, but we have very few religious education or religious studies specialists in the job doing the work and I think this is also something that is in the background of this you know, if you give me as a religious education specialist a lesson to teach, which included the, an image, any image, whatever image it was of the Prophet Muhammad, even if it wasn't disrespectful, because you, you don't have images of the Prophet Muhammad, right? <laughs> so I would have said, no, I'm not using that 
because that comes as part of your subject specialist knowledge, you know? But so, this might not have been a subject specialist either. Because well, exactly. And, and exactly, the, and that's what I'm saying. And the training that's involved. And... I'm not saying it's his fault. I'm saying we've got this structure where religious education is mandatory up to school leaving age, but we've got very few subject specialists. And that's because we've been squeezed out because the culture, the prevailing culture in schools is pushing towards maths and English all the time. So you've got off-duty IT teachers and DT teachers and German teachers teaching RE because they need their uh, time filled out because there's absolutely no way any school can... Um, can have anybody having any downtime in their timetable and they've chose to phase out the religious studies specialists, you know? Um, so it's it's another issue. It's another, another issue. Anyway. Chat's getting <laughs> uh, interesting. I know. Let's, let's try and stay calm in the oh, chat. It's all right. Shall we do a lighthearted one? For, yeah. Um, there was a nice one? lighthearted one from Jane. Um, did uh, you see that one on the ragged trousered philanthropist? I did, but I've gone past it now. Do you want me to read it? Because I yeah, can still please. get it. So on a, on a slightly less serious note, yes. Um, <laughs> Ragged Trousered Philanthropist has been made into a graphic novel in comic format. Is that a good way to get the book out to a wider audience? What do we think? Yes. I, I actually I've got I've got a funny I've got a funny anecdote to share. <laughs> so what you call these sort of yeah books that are like comic books but are proper books you call them graphic novels uh so i i spent a lot of my sort of elder teenage years talking to my older people about how much i enjoyed graphic novels and they thought i meant something completely different Graphic novels, like, like it's a, no, a like comic one. books. Like, <laughs> what were you thinking? <laughs> they do have a slightly more like mature drawing style, like not in a sexy way though, like mm. in a in a like Watchmen. Yeah, Watchmen. Where, where you know Doctor Manhattan, it isn't as he is portrayed on in a movie. If you read. Uh, Watchmen uh, as a, a graphic novel, yeah. Or Walking Dead, or famous graphic novel, or um, what do you call it, man? With Hugo Weaving and Natalie Portman in. V for Vendetta, that was a famous one go. as well. I mean, that's the thing. It's a weird thing about our culture, isn't it? That if you, if it's a proper serious book, then it has to just have words in and no pictures. <laughs> <laughs> like, and that doesn't exist in other places obviously in Japan you know uh, comic books are for all ages um, <laughs> um, but it's uh, yeah Laura says The Crows graphic novel yeah I, I enjoy graphic novels still not the pornographic kind <laughs> um, and um, I just I think but it's Sin always a City good... there's been mentioned by Vonnie and that was a bit more seeing the film seeing the yeah. film I've John you're, you're too back. you're too um, I... you're too John to watch Sin City it's a... I, I watched Sin City and I enjoyed it um, well good and, um, sort <laughs> of um, uh, the um, uh, sort of 
I have to say that, however, that um, the vicar of um, Great Acre, St. Clair's in Acre, her husband, who's also a vicar, he's done um, an entire graphic thing um, of the Gospels. And he's mm. put the, the Gospels into graphic form, and they are brilliant. And I'm going to leave you for two seconds talking amongst yourselves, and I'm going to see if I can find it and, and show you it. So, um, and uh, so, however, I cannot get away with the ragged trousers for long time. Oh, come uh, on. I, I, no, I just cannot. I have tried three or four times, and I just... Um, well, maybe this version's going to be for you. Yeah, maybe I need the pictures. I'm going to look <laughs> and see if I can find this. I made it sexy. <laughs> it's... um. It, it's brilliant, the Ragged Trousered Philanthropist, because it's like it's written so long ago and yet it is so relevant right now. It's um, it's it's there good. Like everyone should read the Ragged Trousered Philanthropists and then you get really, really angry. Maybe maybe it's just like some people who know about things already don't need it put in that kind of really obvious terms but he does describe things in a really really good way there are every few pages there's a real lesson in what capitalism does and the way the system works and it's now capitalism on steroids isn't it with neoliberalism but yeah i um i think that the ragged trouser philanthrop philanthropist speaks to people i don't know i don't know oh that's really that's really nice that job. It's, 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 it's still it, i mean it's not like sin city is it but sort of, it's, it's I you, if I was still uh, teaching RE, I'd have that off you. <laughs> Jeff Anderson is his name. Is the is is the co-vicar of of of, of uh, Newton? I mean, it, it really is brilliant, and and um, I can't. Um, uh, we, we used it a lot, sort of. Um, so uh, well done him, and it actually. Apparently, you can also get the Communist Manifesto as a graphic novel. Wow! Now there, you're talking. <laughs> there we go. To be fair, the Stations of the Cross are like an old graphic novel, and Jesus had. Of course, I mean, Jesus that, you're on history now. I mean, it used to be in that before people could read and write, you used to put pictures all over the church. Yeah. The the church was just pictures of what, and and you learn from the pictures. There you go. I'm getting overexcited. There you go. Uh, yeah, I think if you if you want somebody to read something or to uh, if you want to make information accessible to people, you should try and distribute it in as many ways as you can. Just like the socialist think tank has been doing audio books mm. for political education project. Nice plug. I love <laughs> ah, that there one. we go. <laughs> Have we seen that um, that other one from? Uh, and I think this would probably be for you, Samantha. I imagine. But it's just going back a little bit, so I'm I'm reading it out here. Um, what do you chaps think about the theory that vaccines can cause autism? Uh, yeah, it's it's bullshit, isn't it? Yeah. We, <laughs> did a, we did an bullshit. autism special this week as well, which is really yeah. good. So that's well worth a watch for anyone. Um, I think it was on it was on the first. It was Autism Awareness Day. And yeah. uh, and there were some brilliant, brilliant people on there. It was so good. It was possibly the best thing we've done, actually. I think. Um, mm -hmm. And we've done so many amazing things. No, <laughs> no, it, it was. It's it. It was a real favourite of mine. And Austin Harney, who's a friend of mine, um, was really powerful. And um, Sibali as well, and Heidi. They did amazing. So. Yeah, I, I, I it angers me. 
when people talk about autism like it's worse than dying of measles um you know i i have the uh absolute joy of being the parent to two autistic boys and having the absolute fear of having one of those boys getting measles when he was five months old and having to spend a week bathing him and comforting him and just constantly feeding him and bathing him again you know to try and soothe his symptoms which were horrific um uh, thankfully he didn't end up having to go in a hospital or anything but that was definitely been the most intense sort of in the house caring for an ill child I've ever had to do and again he was a five-month-old baby um so there is absolutely no reason in our society right now that anybody should have measles it's um it should be eradicated and the reason it's not being eradicated is because of this scaremongering uh, caused by andrew wakefield um the idea that yeah the idea that autism is caused by vaccines which is uh just most wasn't people it just daft speculation though wasn't it like didn't he admit afterwards that he didn't really believe it himself he was just like saying oh you know there, there could be this but then it was like well you know most autism isn't um isn't confirmed until after they've had the mmr anyway so yeah. people were saying well that could have caused it and it's like saying well you know does drinking milk cause every disease going because the first thing you do is drink milk yeah, yeah, everything exactly. after that is, is caused by the thing that it's like well no no, no that's and I, I... even today even today on facebook i've seen adverts targeted at me um playing on parents fears of autism and it was around speech development and it was like you know is your child not speaking yet nudge nudge like let's book them on these courses so we can teach them to speak and that's all the subtext on that is all like your child might have autism you better be afraid look and and you hear that type of talk from parents as well like i am really afraid because and list some autistic characteristics just if anybody is out there and they've got a child who is displaying autistic traits just don't be afraid uh because it, there's nothing to be afraid about <laughs> um you know that society is is not built to really uh, allow autistic people to flourish but the best way to counter that is to know what you're dealing with as soon as possible deal trying to get some kind of diagnosis from some kind of medical professional which is not easy to get which is another thing you know it's very difficult to get an autism diagnosis for a child under three because part of the assessment process is them seeing if there is speech delay up until and beyond three um and then once they hit five they're not assessed through the pediatrician anymore they assessed at cams and Anybody who has got any dealing at all with CAMS knows how difficult it is to make any progress with with them. So just enjoy your baby, you know, and deal deal with things as they come. Um, but that's my big golden plated piece of advice. If you do think your child's got autism or ADHD, try and get a diagnosis between when they're three and five, because once they hit five, it gets a lot more difficult. 
Also, um, me is saying that thinking there's something wrong with autism in itself needs to be challenged more robustly. Yeah. And, you know, no, <laughs> that's it. Absolutely. Because it's not just people saying that, um, like, vaccines cause autism. There's also people who believe that if you give children bleach enemas, you can get the toxins out of their body, which are causing the autism. You've got people who sell tablets for you to give your child to balance out the uh, nutritional problem which is causing the autism. The idea that autism is something wrong is deeply harmful and it causes, it creates a market which people are exploiting and it's pure, based on pure human suffering and fear. So absolutely, I agree. Um, but I think, I think what, yeah, parents are worried because they hear people like me saying, oh, this is hard, that is hard, that is hard. But none of the hardship uh, eclipses how wonderful my children are, you know? Um, yeah. What's your experience of CAMS? I, thankfully, I haven't had a direct experience of CAMS because I did get my kids uh, diagnosed um, before they started school. And um, the interesting thing is, because autism is not a mental health condition, uh, CAMS won't give me any help at all. <laughs> So that's a bit frustrating. Uh, if at any point my kids stop sleeping, which is a possibility, I, I can engage with CAMS and they might be able to give me some medication for that. But <laughs> that's basically what, what my experience of CAMS is. I, well, yeah, let's not go on. Let's not go on. <laughs> yeah, Mark says it's the same for type 1 diabetes, all the snake oil cures out there. You know, there's loads of people who will exploit people's fear, isn't there? Um, Stuart, do you have any experience with, the, with with CAMS? You were going to say something before as well, weren't you, with um, with autism? Were you going to say something on that? Or... Me? Yeah. Ah, no, I don't have any experience of it. I'm not artistic and no member of my family is. But, you know, when you see people who are buying into this and the fear, it's either they are ableist uh, and they're scared, you know, irrationally, or they are scared that their, their child will face a more difficult uh, life. And that isn't because they aren't, you know, 100% a perfect human being. That is because of the inequalities of provision for those, those people. And, and, you know, trying to cure, you know, a, something that doesn't need curing, isn't going to fix it. What, what's going to fix it is getting the provision and the, the help sorted, you know? So it's just, I, I can understand people being scared of not, of not that of their kids having a harder time, but they're, they're going about fixing it from the wrong end. You know, they need to be fixing the, the system. Can I quickly come in on Jake's thing? And I think Chris Hood really, really wants that one answered. <laughs> I think we answered it last week, to be honest, but, um, yeah. but I, I don't know. So Jake Jake saying he's been referred. Um, in my experience of children and young people being referred to CAMS, it's been incredibly helpful for them um, because... Uh, 
you know, I've, I've, I've known people in schools who've needed that support and it has been supportive. And one of the things I'm really sad about is we see less and less of that in the education system. Um, the problem is there's more and more people who need to be referred and fewer and fewer opportunities to be referred. Now, again, I think this is down to, down to capitalism um, because there's a great sadness that seems to come with capitalism. There's a great deal of people feeling inadequate or whatever, and I'm not saying that's why you've been referred, by the way, but there's this, this link of mental health and being challenged in, in capitalism and, and the way people are made to feel. And then they take away that support as well. So that's what I've noticed over the past 10 years. Cams has uh, sadly not been as uh, as as well funded as it should be. And it is a good service. And there's so many good people in there. I've known like full-time school counsellors or, or part-time school counsellors that have been part of Cams who've done incredible things with our children and young people in schools and... Uh, it's sad to see that that's a rarer and rarer thing. So don't be fearful. I'm sure people will be. Uh, I'm sure people will be absolutely lovely. And and if if you get that appointment and you need to get that appointment, then that's a good thing. And get the help that you need. Uh, well, that's that's what I would say. Okay, are we moving on to Chris's question then? Yeah. Uh, I'll read it out. It's been a recurring message on this show that Labour Durham County Council has a responsibility to look after all of the county. However, several times I've raised the question to the panel that there are many villages across the county who have minimal investment since Durham County Council was formed in 2009, compared to the money spent in a few specific towns in County Durham each year. What would you say to people who live in those villages that have had a track re record of underinvestment for over a decade? So, um, I would say that I understand where Chris is coming from because people of the people of Shildon feel that way that that Shildon has had underinvestment since to well forever until, since the eighties. Right, so, so, um, Stuart, is that the way you feel about Chilton? Yeah, but I also feel that about everywhere. Mm. Like, it, it, like you look at Bishop Auckland, and you see a load of money going into the, like the tourism, and that's a sectoral thing, isn't it? And but there's still parts of Bishop Auckland that are underinvested in. Mm. You know, that are not seeing the investment they need in a sectoral. You know, you know aspect and you're not going to be pumping a lot of money on tourism into Chilton are you I mean you would you'd say you'd say more in Chilton than you would in Chilton based on the kind of things that we're offering mm -hmm. you know and when you see the numbers that the you know the broken down into you know tourism and you know all those different sectors and it's kind of difficult to get a picture but I think we are underinvested in you know across across the county not by dcc though but because the, the county is underfunded and underinvested by central government and these things you know carry over yeah so so you've got two examples there of new 
uh, whippersnappers getting involved in the local elections who were standing for their towns. <clears throat> because we know that when it comes to like the end of it, you've got to have local champions, right? You've got to have local. If you if you if you're a councillor and you don't shout up for your your own area, you're gonna get absolutely nothing. You're gonna you're gonna get steamrolled. Um, but at the same time, what John has said before about the fact that you're gonna look at the overall need of the overall county, and as socialists, we have to look at how we distribute the wealth to create the best amount of equality and the most amount of sort of uh, <sighs> to reduce as much inequality as possible so it is it's difficult to say uh, I'm, I'm yeah I, I don't think it's fair to say it's the Labour Party's fault that structural inequalities have existed in the northeast since forever <laughs> since the since the Thatcher years all right, the Durham County Council are trying to do what they can to mitigate the long-standing structural inequalities that have happened since the Thatcher years. And also, it always seems like people in the next town are getting more, doesn't it? Like, uh, I, I'm in lots of different community groups and I am in uh, Ferry Hill and Darlington and Thornaby, and they're all talking about how them over the road have got lovely stuff and we've got nout and isn't the council horrible? So I'm not saying that there are inequalities in the way that spending is, is done, but I also see those inequalities that irrelevant of what the political makeup of the council is, irrelevant of where the council is, you know, you do have to funnel money according to need and some of the need is so desperate. However, saying that, I don't think you can, I don't think you can discount the value of having a local champion who will shout up for you at every opportunity because sometimes being in the right place at the right time is a valuable thing and having the ability to back yourself and shout up for your area has to be valuable. And uh, John's going to tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> Do you I think like when people are just going on about these things, I think it's quite funny. We've been doing quite a lot in Wingate lately and I've been completely honest with people. I'm on the parish council in Wingate and I'm like, we don't have any power. We have very little power. We have a little bit of money to distribute. We meet up. We say X, Y, and Z. Like most of the money's already spent anyway, and and we just do what we do. We do do a little bit. And I think one of the things that we have power to do is people say, oh, if that's supported by the parish council, then maybe it gives people a little bit of a leg up. And I think that's that's the power that you have. It's very limited. Obviously, you've got a lot more power at county council. However. When you're totally stripped of your funding, then then what do you do? And it's it's a choice, you know. It's a it's a bad choice to have to make. And I think that um, I think one of the things that we haven't done very well. When I'm saying we, it wasn't me, but uh, I think as a, as a Labour Party, if we want to take collective responsibility, we just haven't we haven't um, told people properly. And I'm I'm a massive advocate of of um, participatory budgeting where you tell the community and say right this is how much money we've got to spend how do you want to spend it and if they see like if they're just seeing it year on year every single year 
we've got less and less. We've got we need to do less and less with. Sorry, we need to do more and more with less and less because there are greater problems created because of the poverty and because of all the problems that we've got. You've got to do more and more, but you're getting less and less every year. Now, there are problems and there are people who I would say, um, let's get let's get rid of highly paid people within County Hall. And I would do that. And that is something that I hand on heart. I, I just find massive salaries abhorrent. I really do. But I suppose that I'm, I've, I have uh, certain tendencies against that. I would go for a two for one ratio, but like no one else would do that. I don't think very. I think very few people would agree with that. Um, but at the same time, you know, if people keep on getting things cut and cut and cut, we need to tell people. Um, I'm just trying to say, Paul, try the general power of competence. Um, you can do whatever you want legally. That's what we've done in our villages. Yeah, you can you can do whatever you want. But you just don't have the money to do it. What do you mm. What do you mean? Do whatever you want. Um, if you don't have funding to do it, then then what can you do? Like you can do community groups and things like that, which is what we're trying to do now. But that's going to have to take an alternative funding source. And when the funding source keeps on being cut and cut and cut from somewhere, then what's happening is that they're trying to put more and more pressure on on people in those communities that have less rather than redistributing the wealth from elsewhere, such as the city of London, um, which isn't even part of the UK, even is it the city of London, but it's a massively wealthy place. You know, it doesn't actually count as part of Great Britain. It's not quite, it's got its own laws and everything. So, you know, there's an absolute mess going on here. And uh, I think we need to stop I think we need to be truthful and stop blaming um, people locally, whatever party they're in, and start thinking, actually, this is a national issue that is tried to be passed down to individual people. Again, it's Thatcherism, isn't it? It's that idea that it's actually individuals who are at fault for this or like, or it's smaller and smaller bodies, when in fact, it's collectivism that we need. I mean, I'm going to speak now. So I was going to try not to, but I can't. I can't. Um, I can't resist it. First of all, you've got to understand that um, the power of the county council to dispose of its money as it might want to do is extremely limited because most of the spending, by far the the majority of our spending, is statutory. Um, things which we have to do by law because the government tells us to do that. So I've said this before, two thirds of our um, revenue budget goes on social care, adults and children, social care, straight away. And that is directed, it isn't directed against Wingate and it isn't directed to Newton Aycliffe, it's directed where it's needed to. And it's spread across the board and sort of so much, uh, um, highways, that money is just put where the roads are beginning to fall to pieces. We repair them as fast as we can. We have a backlog of nearly two hundred million pounds worth of repairs to do, and sort of that's entirely uh, due to a lack of funding from the government. We keep pumping in an extra nine million, ten million pounds out of people's council taxes, uh, but ultimately it gets worse and worse and worse. We fall further and further behind, and so what we do is we just go rushing around, just trying to stop the thing collapsing and keeping the road surface as well as we can. 
When it comes to discretionary spending, therefore, the discretionary pots which we have are exceptionally limited. And what you have to understand is, is, is that that sort of they are and sort of, but even those they are distributed according to need. Which area of the county do you think gets the most spent on um, some putting money into bus services, which are what well, can't com attract a commercial franchised operator because they're not? profitable which areas of the of the county do you think get most money for that it's all up the dale all these communities up the dale who are absolutely convinced that we're doing them a dirty sort of all the funding on uh, discretionary bus services goes up to sort of providing services up the dale because otherwise they would have no services when it comes to places like bishop auckland all that money is private money it's all that multi-billionaire who bought the, the, the Auckland Castle and he's now doing Kinran, sort of. And it's uh, they've tapped in and through his uh, initiative, I might point out, mind, they've tapped into this government fund, which is the Towns and Cities Fund. And because they've got a Tory MP, this time they've got Towns and Cities money and they've got loads of money to spend on Bishop Auckland. Not a penny of that is the Durham County Council money because Durham County Council have been systematically stripped to the point where we're now shot every year of £250 million of revenue that we would have had if they'd kept the 2010 levels. And don't you try telling me that quarter of a billion pound missing every year doesn't matter and we ought to have been able to distribute money willy-nilly all over the things. And the other things is that well, so much of the discretionary money that we actually have is spent um, absolutely. Good. So each AAP area, there's 14 of them in the, the county, they all have exactly the same amount of money and all that money is bid for under um, a, a call out system. I agree with Paul. I would prefer that to be a participatory participatory budgeting system but nevertheless it's on a, it's sort of given equal equally across the county and each county councillor has 18,000 pounds of neighborhood budget which he spends and let make no 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 doubt about that no other council in the country has a system of AAPs like we do and very very few county councils. go and talk to Darlington and ask them how much their councillors have to spend on their local community and so it's time as socialists, what you stop doing is you stop bashing the county council for things that it's none of their business at all. They can't do anything a damn about it. They're doing the best they can. And it's time you looked at the cause of this, which is a neoliberal conservative government, which has systematically stripped the county council of um, funds over a decade. And I noticed that Chris Hood is, is entirely referring to the last decade of the unitary um, uh, sort of council. But what he needs to understand is that that decade has been the decade of austerity and has been a systematic destruction of council powers and council funding and what you need to do is instead of kicking the county council and the county council which quite frankly has enough to boast about that it started two months ago and it's still not able to get through the 120 things of which are genuine achievements on its local uh, on its county council on its uh, facebook site sort of instead of kicking them you need to direct your fire where the fire deserves to be and it's at the Tory government who are trying to destroy you and they've 
gaslighted um, sort of in certain people into thinking that it's the county council's fault and it's bullshit. And until you start <laughs> getting that right and voting it accordingly, it will go on. There's, an, there's, an, <laughs> there's a nice little comment at the end by Jake. Can we get this rant to go viral? I love John's passion. <laughs> Now, if anyone does want to clip anything from our show, <laughs> come to Socialist Think Tank and ask us because we have had problems with people doing really rubbish little like clips on the phone and trying to share them. And we are talking to like um, we are talking to legal advisors over this because you know hardly anyone's paying attention to them. However, it isn't. It just isn't nice. If you want something from our show. Refer to the original source. That's the way to do it, you know. It's a, this is our show, so, um, you know, refer to the original source. And if you want it clipped, we're not embarrassed by anything that we put out. We uh, we agree. We don't think it's a got you moment. So we'll put it out in its entirety or we'll put it out as a clip and take a lot of pride in doing that. So rather than a tin pot political party um, coming in and trying to, like, trying to nick a little clip um just ask us and we'll give you the whole lot but ref but um also refer to the source you know this is socialist think tank and uh we we like more views come and watch us yeah just gotta say the comments <laughs> are absolutely loving you john they're really loving that passion that came through there um <laughs> a bit of <laughs> uh, <laughs> um yeah, we'll, but we'll I clip think... that one. We'll we can clip that one, can't we? Yeah, the thing about the AAPs and the councillors' personal budgets, like people really miss that those don't happen in other places. I, I used to run, well, I still do, but it's not really operated at the moment. A non-profit we operated from uh, Newcastle, and coming from County Durham. I contacted my local councillors for my business in Newcastle and I said, you know, do you have any money you can give us, please? And they went, no. And I was like, what? <laughs> um, they said, well, once a year you can apply. Here's the form. It's very complicated, difficult form. Uh, you've just missed the deadline, so you'll have to try again next year. Um, and we won't get to choose. You won't get any preferential treatment. Of course, it's for the whole of Newcastle. It's rubbish. Um, but th again, the area action partnerships, people don't associate those with the council and, and they do masses of good in the community. Masses and masses of good things. Um, One of the things when you become a councillor, Sam, is you find out where all the money is hidden. Mm. And sort of, uh, sort of, and you will suddenly become an expert on pots of money. And there's there's pots of money all over the place. Um, it's not that there's a lack of money uh, for people to go after, and none of it belongs to the county council. I might point out, but the fact is, is there's little bits of there's there's funds and there's a sort of um, uh, sort of places where you can borrow money cheaply, or, or where you the the fund the three quarters of it, and there's bits all over, um, and sort of. And, and the rules are sometimes very excluding of the things that you'd want to help, but sort of putting people together with the, the places where they can find the money is one of the major joys of, of, of being a councillor. You're going to get in, Sam. 
and um, sort of, um, no, 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 you said the, the bunkers if you don't collect you. And, and the same for you, Stuart. And, and that is, when, when you can actually sort of say, uh, are you trying to achieve this? Go there, go there, they'll sort you out. My God, that's a fantastic thing. And, and, and sort of that's, that's when a counsellor really becomes worth, worth the salt. And and, and, and and being a counsellor, I'm on my rants here, aren't I? But sort of being a counsellor is about that. It's not about scoring cheap points um, sort of um, in the debating chamber. Um, it's about it's about using your influence and knowledge, which you will very rapidly acquire, to actually help your local community and, and help it. Grow. And then, of course, putting that um, to help the whole county as well, which I said before, because responsibility for the whole county. Yeah, I mean that's my as a, as a as a social entrepreneur, um, that's my experience is that. A lot of a lot of good can be created by just joining the dots between like getting people together who both have an interest in something or helping encouraging somebody to apply for some funding because they actually don't think that they're confident enough to do it but you you can be there behind them saying I can look through the forms for you you can do this you know that kind of encouragement goes a really long way Um, and I think that's how you really transform communities is be by <laughs> Chris is here but being that catalyst uh, between people um, and, and having that broad overview of the community and I know that group over there are doing good things with physical activity I know this group over there are doing really good things with the food bank I know that there's some funding to be had for physical activities so if I engage those people together it will benefit the food bank that kind of thing um, is really valuable and that's obviously what I'm hoping to do oh dear I signed off my leaflets as well Stuart there was a big old thing about them because we thought that the Labour Party could print them but apparently they couldn't because we hadn't submitted them oh, oh nightmare but it's all sorted now <laughs> oh dear uh, it was, of course, the uh, bank holiday weekend, so everybody was trying to t- have some time away. And we were like, you need to sort these leaflets out. Ah! <laughs> Bad times. Anyway, it's 11 <laughs> o'clock. <laughs> yeah. We've got a nice little comment in there, which I can only... Uh, 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 Google Translate's coming across that it's Italian. I don't ah, ah, ah. Me too. Exactly the same. the same. the same. In the same way shit, is it? Oh. <laughs> yeah, we are. Okay. And you know you are your shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know you are. <laughs> it means, have you taken a dump? Have you, yes. Have you, have you had a poo? <laughs> and sort of, I wonder why he's saying that. I can think of a reason. There's probably some sort of thing where you know when when we would say something in in a, in a, or anyone would say something in a language where it means something really specific. Um, it may, yes, you've got to be careful because it may be absolutely it, m- much worse than that. It could be worse than that, or it could be nothing. It could be absolutely nothing. Who knows? Let's get some more Italian accent. We have had some Italian uh, people before. On, which is always good. We always like people from uh, from different countries coming on. Fifty one countries we get uh, listen to our podcasts. So 
We might run a competition on it actually for some merchandise quite soon. I'm just going to reply to Chris Hood here on yes. uh, reserves. Sort of, you spend your reserves one mate once and they're gone. Okay, so before you start spending reserves, you need to be very careful where you're going to spend them. And what you do not do with reserves is you don't spend them on revenue um, funding. You spend them on capital things and you spend them on um, spent to save projects. And you're very, very careful. And the other thing we re use reserves for is we use them to smooth cuts. And that means that sort of instead of there being a cliff, when we're forced to make a cut by the government, instead of being a, a cliff edge, we use reserves just to sort of mean that it goes like that and people don't fall off the cliff edge. Sort of um, the opposition have been on that us for a decade to use our reserve, use your reserves, use your reserves. Well, one council did do that and it used its reserves. It was called Northampton. Look them up. Didn't it? The, James brings up a really big, th big thing in the chat now. I was going to bring this up as, as myself. I used to work at Shottenhall Banqueting Suites and people will probably remember me from being like uh, just such an incredible dancer when I worked there. But um, sorry, it was just a, it was a fun time in my life. But anyway, um, they have been like they put out a, a leaflet today saying that they've cut um, the precept for Pete Lee Town Council year upon year upon year upon year. But what they're not saying is they've spent all their... Um, all, all their reserves. So Peter Lee Town Council will either have to put up the precept by I think about twenty one percent it was estimated at, in order to not have to sell assets like mm -hmm. Shottenhall Banquet and Suites, which acts as Peter Lee Town Council's base of operations. Um, also, if it would if it had been managed right by the town council, like when I worked there. Um, in the in the early noughties, um, it was it was a big profit. Like it, it actually created money for Peter Lee Town Council, so they could spend it on other things, um, and they used it for wedding venues and stuff. And because it was it was mismanaged over the past few years, that's becoming less and less of a, a good revenue generator. And now they might just have to sell the building. So you'll end up with something private that will cost an absolute fortune. And you know what? When Pete Lee Town Council ran it under under Labour back then, I used to laugh at quite a few of the, of the uh, town councillors then because there were some funny times. However, it was run in such a way that um, people could afford to have a relatively inexpensive wedding in a lovely, lovely venue. It was an and it create uh, and it was a profit for uh, the people of Peter Lee and it could go it could go and and it's not what it was either it's like still a lovely lovely venue but the northeast party have run it into the ground it's embarrassing the answer to Bonnie Hardman is yes yeah yeah uh during High Council did push in reserves to back up high end send provision funding because the uh the response from the the central government was shameful uh, another thing to remember and we will wind up after this the other thing to remember is the Durham County Council is massive and it has a lot of staff um, so that that's a lot of risk so you can easily imagine a situation 
like um, there's been a, a, an accident from the council's point of view, but accidents happen. But the accident means that every single crossing patrol lollipop lady in the county is going to sue the council for three million pounds. Like that's the type of thing you hear about happening, you know, or every teaching assistant or every bin man, you know, and that's an awful lot of people when you when you start looking at it. If, if all of those get to sue the council for some kind of mismanagement, then you need that money in the reserves. Or what if the government changes the rules overnight so that, and they're not gonna do this, but oh, we can hope, right? What if the government changes minimum wage to 15 pound an hour? Where's the council yeah. gonna get that money from? Uh yeah, when the COVID grants came out, obviously uh, Durham was sharp to be helping people because because it had the the reserves. I think wasn't it to be able to to fund stuff before they got the money back off the government? Absolutely mm. correct. Yes. So we by were... the way, nobody's nobody's saying that we didn't get the COVID money from the government. But you're absolutely no. right. We were able to um, run ahead of the game. And actually, we were congratulated in the Houses of Commons by a Tory minister for the um, prompt way. Um, we were sort of, they said there were three three councils which had shown the way and how to do it. And Durham County Council, Labour County Council was one of them. Spot on, Stuart. I've forgotten that. Thank you. Anyway, we do have to wind up now because I'm about to turn into a pumpkin. <laughs> isn't it? Isn't it nice as well that like. Um... Chris Hood put that challenging question to us in real time and uh, and we were able to answer it and he's really grateful for it. Isn't it, doesn't, doesn't that just tell you? People just want to be listened to and they just want to have things explained to them and they will accept an explanation. You know, this is, this is the key thing. We need to communicate really well and then all of us get together and be like, whatever it is. And I know like John, you just said the government created the money. They did that because they can. Durham County Council can't create money. The national government can. Like, 92% of the debt, allegedly, that we owe is owed to the Bank of England, which is owned by the UK government, sort of, pretty much. And I'll, I'll say this as well. I agree with, with, with Chris Hood and with you on, on this as well. I think the County Council has been useless at actually communicating to people what the hell has been going on. For the past decade. And what the county council have done is, is we've beavered away trying to make sure that these cuts didn't hurt the people. We've, we've sacked our own staff and we've reorganized things and we've, um, and, and, and actually, sort of, you talk to most people, they haven't, for most people, they haven't noticed any diminution in their frontline front services. So they've noticed tinkering at the edges and maybe changes of timings and things like that, but we've kept things going. And all the time, sort of people have been blaming us for it, and we haven't got that message across. And and this was the two things you wanted: participatory budgeting, and secondly, better communication, transparency, telling people a lot better, more honestly, what's been going on. And I think we've been useless at that. And if we lose this coming elections, it will be because of that. Um, between you and me, because we haven't, we sort of because people genuinely think that it's all the county council's fault. Mm. Yeah. Drop mic. 
moment. <laughs> right then, are we going to say goodbye? Bye-bye, everybody. Samantha, keep on waving for ages, yeah. please. Just keep waving. <laughs> Just keep waving. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much. Take the red flag, flag, yeah. <laughs>